Welcome to the Hidden Body Podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah Abetti. Thanks for joining me. Today, I am joined by Dr. Stephanie Seneff. She's a senior research scientist at the Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. She has earned four degrees from MIT, including Bachelor of Science in Biophysics, Masters, Engineers, and PhD in Electrical Engineering and Computer Science. For four decades, she has worked at the intersection of human biology and computers. In decades of research at MIT, she has published over 200 peer-reviewed scientific research studies. She has spent the last decade studying the harmful effects of the pesticide glyphosate, also known as Roundup. She has written a book recently published called Toxic Legacy, which discusses the groundbreaking science behind the harmful effects of glyphosate and its potential role in autism, Parkinson's, autoimmune disorders, Alzheimer's, as well as many other chronic diseases. Welcome to the show. Uh, Dr. Seneff, you have written an incredible book about glyphosate. Uh, this is the active ingredient of Roundup. And I can personally tell you, I've never been more moved by a book in my life and also terrified. Mm -hmm. And you beautifully explain with rigorous scientific research why you feel glyphosate is a significant contributor to many of the chronic diseases such as autism, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, autoimmune diseases and cancer that we're kind of seeing basically skyrocketing in this day and age. And, you know, I felt personally quite a sadness going through this book, but end of the book, you kind of outline many things we can do to combat this. Glyphosate is the active ingredient in Roundup and Monsanto was the manufacturer later acquired by Bayer. Can you tell us a little bit about glyphosate? It's kind of versatile use initially as a, I believe, pipe cleaner, correct? Yeah. And then antibiotic. And now it's kind of ubiquitous use in agriculture. Right. I want to just first hold up the book here, Toxic yes. Legacy, <laughs> how the weed killer glyphosate is destroying our health and the environment. Yeah. So uh, glyphosate was a first, as uh, it, it was able to strip metal off of pipes. So it was good for cleaning pipes um, back in, I don't know, 19, early 1960s, early 1960s. I think it was a patent by Stouffer's or something. It wasn't Monsanto. And then I think it was 1968 that they figured out that it killed plants. They sort of discovered mm -hmm. that accidentally. They found it kills all plants except for those that have been engineered to resist it, which makes it pretty damn toxic, you know, <laughs> excuse my language, but it kills all plants. Um, and they thought, well, this will be great. We'll use it as a weed killer. And so it's 1968, they uh, patented it as a weed killer. And then it was later patented, I think around 2000, as an antimicrobial agent. And that's interesting, too, because it certainly is an antimicrobial agent. It's acting like an antibiotic. And that's part of its effect on, on us because it's messing up our gut microbiome. Mm. And we can get into that later. But um, 68, it was patented. And then it was, I think, approved for, um, for use in the United States in something like 1974, after some very sloppy, sloppily done studies to claim that it was safe. It was very... Um, inadequate studies and the EPA just kind of looked the other way and went ahead and approved it. And once it's approved and it's approved without, you don't even need a license, as you know, people can go down to the local garden store and get some mm -hmm. Roundup to kill the dandelions or the weeds growing in the part in their walkways. Um, works great, you know, so they're very happy. They don't know they're poisoning themselves and maybe poisoning their children. They don't know that because it's, it's touted as being so safe mm -hmm. that people use it carelessly. So it's pervasive, it's heavily used. Um, it's the most used herbicide in the world and the United States uses more per person than any other country. Mm -hmm. We are also, in my opinion, the sickest country. We have so many problems with diabetes, obesity, Alzheimer's, autism, you know, ADHD, all these things. You mentioned some of those earlier. Um, it's, uh, it's connected. I think it's, it's directly linked. So you mentioned, so it has to be a genetically modified plant that handle the glyphosate being used because otherwise the plant would have died. Correct. Right, right. And that's what they've done. That's what was so phenomenally successful. It, you, you can you can glyphosate. genetically engineer plants to resist glyphosate by by gifting them with a gene that comes from a microbe. Mm. And they discovered experimentally again that there were these microbes that were resistant, that they didn't mm. fall prey to the normal way that glyphosate would kill things, which was mm -hmm. through this 
specific enzyme, EPSP synthase in the shikimate pathway, which is a super important biological pathway in plants um, and in microbes, but human cells don't have that pathway. They don't have that enzyme. That's why it's safe. And that's the argument they use. And forgetting that we have gut microbes that depend on that pathway to produce critical nutrients for us that our cells can't make. That's the part that we're overlooking. That's really crucial. And I have a whole chapter on the gut to defend that, that point of view. You just heard Dr. Seneff talk about genetically modified plants. She is saying that these GMO plants have a gene inserted from a bacteria into their genome. This allows them to not die when exposed to glyphosate because nearly all plants will die naturally when exposed to glyphosate. The pathway that glyphosate disrupts in a plant is called the shikimate pathway. This pathway is not found in humans and that is why it was thought to be safe. However, the beneficial microbiome in our bodies that help us make things that a human body alone cannot are affected by the shikimate pathway, something that was unknown when glyphosate was approved for use. It really wasn't used that much, you know, a lot less up to the end of the 1900s. And then starting around just before 2000, they started to ramp up these genetically engineered crops and they, and they introduced these genes into several different core crops. Mm-hmm. And these are the core crops that go in processed food industries. And um, so that's corn and soy and sugar beets and um, canola. So you've got the oil, the sugar, the, the, the flour, you know, you've got all those basic things, not Everyone. quite the flour because wheat is actually not genetically engineered. They have come up with a genetically engineered mm-hmm. wheat crop, but the uh, farmers refused it. And I think that's because they like to use the glyphosate on the wheat at the end of the, um, at the harvest time, they spray mm-hmm. the wheat with glyphosate right before the harvest in order to, to kill the plant, intentionally to kill it. And uh, that's turned out to be very effective for synchronizing uh, the, all the plants go to seed at the same time and they get hit by the glyphosate. And that increases the yield, also mm-hmm. makes the stubble die more quickly. So it's easier to clear the crop to get ready for next year's crop. And also getting a head start on the weeds because you're giving a, a, a dose of glyphosate to the weeds along with the killing of the plant. Terrible idea because it's ending up at high levels in many foods that are not GMO. So people think, oh, non-GMO, that's going to be good. I'll buy that. And it mm-hmm. can be have much higher levels of glyphosate than the GMO crops because of this practice of spraying right before harvest. Wow. You had mentioned that Monsanto continue, and now Bayer that own it continued to tout its safety because as you were saying, the way glyphosate works is through a particular pathway that plant cells in plant cells that human cells don't have. And you had mentioned, you said the shikimate pathway, Yes, uh-huh. um, the glyphosate inhibits, and that's why affecting this pathway, you know, can, doesn't leave our bodies unscathed. And you had mentioned that you know, this research that said that glyphosate was quote unquote safe came out before the microbiome research that we had now. Can you touch a little bit more exactly on what the shikimate pathway is and and why it's so detrimental that we are affecting it the way we are with glyphosate? Right. So the problem is that our gut microbes, many of our gut microbes have that pathway and have an enzyme in that pathway that's susceptible to glyphosate. And so um, those microbes get really severely harmed by glyphosate. Mm-hmm. And of course, they, they lose the ability to make the products of that pathway when they're exposed to glyphosate. And the products of that pathway are the aromatic amino acids, tryptophan, tyrosine, and phenylalanine. Those are three of the 20 or so coding amino acids that go into the building blocks that are the building blocks of proteins. So when you, uh, we depend, the host depends upon their microbes to help to supply them with Mm. these critical nutrients through that pathway, which is broken by glyphosate. So Mm. we end up with deficiencies and that's not just deficiencies and, you know, insufficient material, raw material to make proteins, which is crucial by itself. But also those aromatic amino acids are really, really important for many other biologically important nutrients as well. Mm. There, for example, that pathway is critical for making uh, several B vitamins. At least I'm, I'm, I've, I've been aware of folate, niacin, and um, uh, riboflavin. Those three all come out of that pathway. And those are critical B vitamins. Um, also uh, many hormones. So you have the... Um, 
uh, dopamine, um, which is a, you know, deficiencies associated with Parkinson's disease, serotonin, which is the feel good hormone, mm-hmm. uh, melatonin, which is for sleep, right? And then uh, even thyroid hormone, all of those come out of that pathway. So the hormones become deficient, you know, and then you get a hormone imbalances and things like that. Also, the skin tanning agent melanin mm-hmm. uh, comes out of that pathway. So people have issues with not being able to tan, then they get damaged by the sun, and they burn easily. Wow. You had mentioned in your book that the International Agency for Research on Cancer, part of the World Health Organization, categorizes glyphosate as a probable carcinogen. Uh, And then in 2020, the EPA released a statement saying that glyphosate doesn't pose a risk to humans as long as it's used according to directions. Glyphosate is banned in so many other countries. Can you talk about how the research done by Monsanto regarding the safety on glyphosate, you know, we kind of talked about it happening before the microbiome research, and you said how beneficial microbiome is more sensitive to glyphosate than bad bacteria. So the beneficial microbiome ends up, you know, dying, and then the the bad bacteria, you know, kind of thrive in that environment. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on that? Uh, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. And there have been studies that have shown it, you know, demonstrated that glyphosate preferentially kills bifidobacteria and lactobacillus. Those are the two species. There was a lovely study it was on chicken biome, uh, microbiome, and they showed those two species were really sensitive to glyphosate, whereas salmonella and clostridia were much hardier against it. So wow. you get um, you get pathogens showing up and then your immune cells come in to defend against the pathogens and you get inflammation as a consequence of the immune response. Inflammation damages the gut lining, then you get leaky gut syndrome. And- Dr. Senef just mentioned leaky gut. What is leaky gut? Inside our bodies, we have a vast amount of intestinal lining that covers more than 4,000 square feet of surface area. When working properly, the lining of the gut has tight barriers that control what gets absorbed into the bloodstream. An unhealthy gut lining may have large cracks or holes, otherwise known as a leaky gut, allowing partially digested food, toxins, and bugs to penetrate the tissues beneath it. This may lead to inflammation and changes in the normal gut flora that could lead to problems within the digestive tract as well as the rest of the body. And that's also been shown experimentally that glyphosate causes leaky gut. And, um, and on top of that, glyphosate disrupts the ability to um, metabolize proteins. And in particular, that is fits with these microbes being killed because lactobacillus has several different um, en- enzymes that it makes that specialize in metabolizing uh, gluten and casein. That's the wheat protein and the milk protein that many kids with autism, they get off of gluten, a gluten-free, casein-free diet. That's a very popular mm-hmm. uh, way to treat autism. They find the kids improve, you know, their behaviors improve because those, those particular proteins have a lot of proline in them. Mm-hmm. And proline is an unusual amino acid that's hard to break apart. You've got the beads on the string, you need to break them apart into individual mm-hmm. beads, and then you can reuse those amino acids to make new proteins mm-hmm. when you're digesting a protein. So mm-hmm. your body has trouble digesting wheat mm-hmm. and milk as a consequence of um, those enzymes produced by those bacteria that are getting clobbered by glyphosate. So you don't have enough, you don't have the ability to break down those proteins easily. And it's very interesting, the whole, con- and I talked about this in the chapter on the gut, that chapter was really hard to write. And I read a ton of papers that mm-hmm. turned out not to make any sense in the context of what I was trying to do is a lot of extra work, you know, to figure out the story. But I really finally felt quite happy with um, what I had figured out, mm-hmm. which is quite interesting from the standpoint of biochemistry, because as those proteins don't get broken down, you end up with these peptides that are undigested in your gut. And those are irritants. They're going to cause an immune response and you're going to get autoimmune disease you know, because you get antibodies to those undigested peptides. And then they can become autoantibodies through molecular memory. They can attack your tissues. That's how you get like a celiac disease. Celiac disease is going up exactly in step with the rise in glyphosate usage on wheat. It matches wheat much better than it matches corn and soy. And I think it's a direct hit. I mean, wheat is the thing that causes celiac disease. And so, so many people that, that can't eat wheat, can't eat wheat-based products, which is such a shame because I know. I know it's such yeah, a basic delicious. food. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a basic food. And so many people are not are avoiding it because of the problem with the glyphosate in it mm-hmm. that is um, messing up the, the, the microbes that would normally assist in the digestion of the wheat. So when those proteins, when those peptides stick around, first of all, the amino acids don't get recycled. So people are taking aminos, right? There's all you go to the 
it's a health food store and you see all these jars of all these aminos, individual amino acids and amino complex, you know, this is like eating food that's already digested. Mm. And, and people are taking these amino acids. It just seems so interesting to me yeah. because you're not getting the amino acids out of the proteins because you can't digest them, right? No. They don't end up getting recycled. Instead, they go down into the lower gut where they won't be absorbed anymore. Mm-hmm. They get broken into individual amino acids by the microbes in the lower gut, and then they get metabolized and, and destroyed. So you no, you no longer have those amino acids. Instead, you have that nitrogen that is in the amino acids getting freed up and making ammonia. So ammonia is a basically a nitrogen, NH4, you know, it's NH3, actually it's ammonia, but ammonium NH4 plus is what they end up producing mm-hmm. from the nitrogen atom after they break down the amino acids. And that makes the gut basic. It raises the pH because ammonia has a very high pH. Mm-hmm. And when the pH gets raised, all kinds of things go south. I mean, the, the whole balance between the different short chain fatty acids that are normally produced by the gut microbes in the lower gut, the, the acetate and the butyrate and the um, pro, uh, propionate, propionate, acetate and butyrate, butyrate. Those are three very, very important, very tiny mm-hmm. fatty acids that these microbes normally make from roughage from things that we can't digest Mm -hmm. in the lower gut. And they get all out of balance because of the disruption of the microbes from the pH change. So when the pH goes up, it's too basic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the microbes that would normally make acetate get sick Mm -hmm. and, and the, and and butyrate and acetate get shortchanged and propionate, you get too much propionate and you don't get enough of any of them. So you end up with the roughage doesn't get digested and it can be a very big irritant of your gut as well. So it's a real mess. I mean, wow. lots and lots of things go wrong yes. um, with these simple problems that show up because of glyphosate poison. Let's sum up what we just heard. Dr. Senef mentioned gluten and a protein found in milk called casein. We need our microbiome to help us break down both these foods And if they are left undigested, they will irritate the gut and activate the immune system, which can create antibodies to our own gut lining. This happens with wheat and celiac disease. When these undigested proteins travel down the gut, again, the microbiome that helps us break this down is disrupted by glyphosate. They can cause the healthy acid level of the bowel to be reduced, which can further damage the good microbiome by stopping them from making these particular fatty acids. These fatty acids are created from breaking down prebiotic plant fibers. These fatty acids are an integral part in what keep the lining of our gut safe. The microbes. You can tell that this delicate interconnectedness, you mess with one part, there's gonna be so many downstream consequences. And you talk about another, this was probably the most alarming side effect of glyphosate, was that its chemical composition is very close to an amino acid glycine in our bodies. You know, amino acids being the building blocks of proteins that you had mentioned, you basically need it for nearly every biochemical reaction that happens in our body. And there was this study that your colleague had gotten through the Freedom of Information Act done by Monsanto, you had mentioned that they never released it, but he was able to procure this study that proved that glyphosate incorporates into these protein structures. And, you know, right now they're saying, no, it just very easily leaves the system in a couple of hours. And this research that they did really shows us that's not true. Right. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that study and why this is not good for our bodies? <laughs> right. That study was truly, uh, truly amazing. And we were so happy to have found it because it's, yeah. it, it uh, confirmed our suspicions because it, yeah. it, it makes sense that this would be happening. And glyphosate, I mean, we were finding these associations, incredibly strong associations with the rise in obesity and diabetes and all these things. And of course, you want to have a mechanism. You can't just say, well, correlation. People say correlation doesn't mean causation. So it's not enough to have correlation, but the correlations are stunning, really right. stunning. Right. And so I was convinced it must be, there must be a causative reason for that. And then the question is, how could one chemical cause so many things? You know, most people would say disbelief, right? Yeah. That's just not possible. Yeah. Well, this is how it could, because if it does do this, uh, get into proteins by mistake in place of the coding amino acid glycine, if it does this, it's basically game over. I mean, it is so devastating when you think of the consequences of that. And that's what basically the book is about. Mm -hmm. Fascinating, fascinating biochemistry, because you have all these papers that talk about 
you can find proteins that have essential glycine residues at certain places where if that glycine is mutated and you have people who have disease because that glycine is not there. Mm-hmm. And then those diseases happen to be the same diseases that are going up exactly in step with glyphosate. You can piece this whole puzzle together that way. And it's such an exciting puzzle to solve. Yeah. I'm still solving it. <laughs> I'm still finding more pieces to put in. <laughs> But it's a, it, it works so well that yeah. I feel very, very confident that I'm right. Yeah. Of course, they're saying, oh, it's not possible. I mean, that's what Monsanto Bayer is saying. It's not possible. So they're denying that I'm right. Mm-hmm. But I think they know it's happening. And, mm-hmm. and especially because their own researchers found it. And it was really quite an amazing study with the bluegill sunfish. Mm-hmm. They gave them radio labeled glyphosate so that they could trace the radio label independently of the glyphosate. And then they looked for it in the tissues. They found it in the tissues. Now they say it doesn't accumulate in the tissues, but there it was. Mm-hmm. And then when they said, well, okay, the radio label's there, so let's go find the glycine, uh, the glyphosate. And when they looked for the glyphosate, they only ac- accounted for about 20, up to 20% of the radio label could be mm-hmm. identified as gly- glyphosate. 80% went missing. So then they said, oh, well, let's just add some enzymes that'll break the proteins down into individual amino acids, you know? So they did that. They, they added these enzymes and then they tried again and they got 80%. So 20% still went missing, but 80% was recovered. And then they said in the paper, uh, perhaps it was incorporated into the protein. And this is what I was like, wow, they admitted, <laughs> they admitted. This is like in 1989 or something uh-huh. like that. It's a long time ago, uh-huh. an amazing paper. And um... let's break down this study further. Amino acids are like the alphabet. Just like we put letters of the alphabet together to make a word, we piece together amino acids to make a protein. Monsanto researchers attached a radioactive marker to glyphosate, so when later scanning the body, the glyphosate location will radioactively light up, identifying its location. They then fed this radioactive glyphosate to a fish. They found that 20% of that radioactively tagged glyphosate was found in the tissues, but where was the rest of the glyphosate? When they broke down all the fish's proteins into basic amino acid alphabet soup, they had located 80% of the radioactive glyphosate, suggesting the glyphosate had incorporated into the chemical composition of the protein itself. Thank God uh, Anthony was able to get that paper. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, you kind of uh, say that it's similar to what the tobacco industry did, you know, with, with smoking, kind of knowing for a long time, it was not good, but kind of messing with the data that it released, you know, right. I know they, they, uh, privately, they know it's bad. They they try to deny it as they they always get caught eventually, but after lots and lots and lots of people have been injured and, um, you know, and I think it's setting us up too for really bad outcomes from COVID-19. I've talked yeah. about that. Glyphosate yeah, no. is messing up the immune system. Yeah, no, I'd love for you to kind of touch on, on that because at the end of the book, you talk about that. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about COVID-19 and, and glyphosate? Yeah, it's very interesting. And as I said, I have a whole chapter in the book on the immune system, which is also very fascinating, very complicated. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of reading, I have to say, but um, because it's a... Uh, uh, the immune system is so important for your health, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and we're getting, it's getting clobbered by, mm-hmm. by the glyphosate and particularly the innate immune system. The innate mm-hmm. immune system is usually very, very capable. We're all about making antibodies, you know, get those vaccines, get those antibodies up. That is not the ideal solution mm-hmm. to fighting COVID. The ideal solution is to have a strong innate immune system mm-hmm. so that you don't even need those antibodies to fight it. Cause the antibodies always give you the chance to get autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have the high antibodies. You want to have a very strong innate immune system they can just pull away those viruses and chew them up and disappear them very quickly before they get out of control. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the innate immune system that's getting disrupted by glyphosate. And part of it, maybe a large part of it is the mitochondria. Mm-hmm. Uh, glyphosate really hits hard on the mitochondria. Those are the, um, the organelles that provide energy for the cells. So they're super, super important. They're very interesting. They used to be microbes. You know, there's this whole Lynn Margulis has talked about mm-hmm. these, this wonderful idea, which turns out looks like it's true that these mm-hmm. came from, uh, a symbiotic, symbiotic relationship between the, the the cell and the little guys inside that were also in, used to be independent living species, but now have become integrated and help out the host. So it's kind of a, a host relationship with the mitochondria, which is quite fun. Yeah. They have their own DNA too. You know, they carry their own little packets of DNA inside each mitochondria, and they can re- re- uh, reproduce themselves independently of the host. So it's wow. quite wild. It's kind of like another living organism <laughs> inside the cell. But the mitochondria are very very sensitive 
to glyphosate. Many studies have shown mitochondrial damage, which is like the DNA in the mitochondria gets damaged, mm-hmm. oxidative, oxidative damage, increased um, releasing of these reactive oxygen species that are going to damage the tissues, you know, that glyphosate causes all this, it depletes the glutathione, which is a really critical antioxidant. Mm-hmm. In the liver, that's very important to keep the liver healthy and the liver is not healthy in the presence of glyphosate. We have an epidemic in fatty liver disease. I have a whole chapter on the liver actually, independent oh, of amazing on, chapter. on the uh, immune system. But so the mitochondria are getting wrecked and, and the immune cells need the mitochondria, they need the energy mm-hmm. to be able to fight the disease. So they don't have enough energy. And then I also talk a lot about these fascinating proteins um, that are a whole class of proteins that are, that have a, um, a, a, uh, collagen-like stock. Do you remember the collagen-like yes. stock story? Yes. It was really yeah. fun. Yeah. Us, yeah. L- briefly explain it to us. Like if someone didn't really have a scientific background and they really want to understand what you were saying, kind of how would you explain this? Yeah. <laughs> the stock. Yeah. It's really fun with the collagen-like stock because collagen yeah. is the most common protein in the body. Okay. Something like 25% of our proteins are collagen molecules. Wow. And that's the glue that kind of holds the body together. It's in the joints, it's in the bones, it's in the skin, it's in the brain, you know, it's everywhere. And collagen is a really cool molecule. It has a beautiful triple helix structure that it forms, which gives it a lot of nice properties in terms of its tensile strength and its flexibility and its ability to hold water, which is really important because that uh, it gels the water and keeps it held in place um, and really does a good job with keeping the joints healthy, keeping the bones healthy, et cetera. Um, collagen has a long, long sequence of GXY, 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 where every third amino acid is a glycine, a very regular pattern. And those glycines are like zipper. They hold the whole thing together to make that beautiful structure that it creates, that triple helix structure. So it's, it's really quite a, an interesting molecule. Um, so these, these, these little immune cell, the immune cells have all these little proteins that are short, uh, short glycine. They're, they're short, short collagen chunks that are part yeah. of the protein. And that helps them to, um, to do their job as far as grabbing the, the virus and, and giving it to the, uh, to the immune cell. Basically, these are like vacuum cleaners or, or like tar paper that go out and collect the, the, uh, the pathogens and bring them home to the, uh, to the host immune cell so that it can clear them. Mm. So it's kind of like a fly flying around in the room versus a fly mm. stuck on tar paper, which one would be easier to kill, you know? Mm-hmm. And so in the case of the lungs of somebody who's been chronically exposed to glyphosate, the viruses are flying around like flies, you know, in the air rather than being stuck to the yeah. tar paper so that they can easily clear them. So it's, there's this uh, surfactant proteins in the lungs that are, um, that have this collagen like stalk and that um, when they're, when they're defect deficient, um, the virus can easily gain hold in the, in the lungs. And so I think those are getting targeted by glyphosate and that's causing uh, the immune system not to be able to clear the virus. The virus gets infects the cells and multiplies and creates a mess. Because you were saying, you know, if all these collagen have that glycine at the end, and as we were saying, glycine, you know, glyphosate will take the place of these glycine. Yes. And you know, you're just saying it's not going to work as well. It messes up. In fact, it won't even be released from yeah. the uh, from the cell. So they have to be put in. The surfactant proteins have to be stuck outside the cell to be able to find the viruses. They'll get stuck inside the cell if they don't form that proper structure. Oh, interesting. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you for explaining that. <laughs> also talk about how glyphosate is known as a chelator, which means that it holds and binds really tightly to metal ions. And that becomes a problem because, you know, these need to be absorbed, first of all, by plants. And if they're blocked, then these plants have nutrient deficiencies. This will also block, you know, our bodies from getting these essential, you know, nutrients and minerals. Why do you think this is um, a bad thing for a plant or for a body if glyphosate is chelating or holding on to these metal ions? Yeah, I think it's really doing a mess with all the all the critical minerals that we have. These small, you know, this, this list of minerals that are super important for our health. They, they're catalysts. They they catalyze certain enzymes. Uh, also a whole fascinating space in biology. Um, it's all complicated, but, <laughs> but, no, but these you do are a like... great job of explaining it. I love it. Keep yeah, going. It's... <laughs> so it's things like cobalt and zinc and sulfur and um, uh, manganese and magnesium, all of those, you know, that are um, cofactors for various enzymes. And, um, and the glyphosate binds to them very, very strongly. It's a really fantastic chelator. And that means that it keeps them away from everybody else. It basically holds them 
in its hands and won't let it go. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence, you become deficient. And in fact, in the plant, and so Don Huber has done, he, I heard his, you know, he gave, he gave this presentation to our presentation, which was my first introduction to glyphosate in 2012. And he talked and he showed the data on plants if they were exposed to glyphosate versus not, and the levels they had of these minerals, you know, and sulfur was way down and manganese and cobalt, they were all way down compared to what they would normally be, both in the roots and in the, in the stems, you know. So when you eat these foods that are exposed to glyphosate, you're getting a deficient food that doesn't have enough of these minerals in it. And worse than that, the minerals that you get are going to get stuck to the glyphosate that's in your gut and keep them away from the gut microbes. And the gut microbes depend critically on the minerals to do their job. So that's another way that it messes up the gut microbes. Uh, Lactobacillus in particular, I'm suspecting that part of its sensitivity to glyphosate is due to the fact that it's a very interesting microbe that depends on manganese. It actually uses manganese to protect it from, uh, from oxidative damage. It's mm. a very unique property of, of this uh, lactobacillus. It doesn't use any iron, only uses manganese. It's quite interesting, but the manganese is really gets hit, you know, tied up with glyphosate so that the lactobacillus can't get enough manganese and that makes it sick. Wow, thank you for explaining that. <laughs> All right, let's move on to autism. You talk about it a lot, and there's a lot of research that you go through in your book. Autism has been rising dramatically. We all know in the past few decades. And you mentioned that it can't be explained by better diagnostic criteria, meaning our better testing of autism is not accounting for why we are seeing the rise. And you say that autism, you know, isn't solely caused by glyphosate, you know, because autism existed before, but the prevalence of autism is rising so dramatically as more of these toxic environmental exposures like glyphosate, you know, are coming into our daily lives. And, you know, you mentioned one of the largest and most recent investigations of pesticide and autism in California's San Joaquin Valley, showing, you know, pregnant women living within about a mile of the pesticide spray areas were 30% more likely to have children with severe autism. Uh, You know, the United States uh, Health Resources and Service Administration 2016 said one in 40 children have autism, four times more common in boys. And in the book you, and you had just mentioned earlier, you know, we're seeing a disrupted gut microbiome in autistic children, inflammatory and leaky gut, nutrient malabsorption, mineral deficiencies, And you go into extensive detail and the research about why glyphosate may be responsible for this. So you'd mentioned a little bit earlier, but, you know, let's say somebody was coming to you again, limited scientific background, and you kind of wanted to explain maybe the top two or three reasons why you feel like glyphosate can be contributing. What would you say to them? Well, clearly the gut microbiome. I mean, I think a lot of the autistic kids are having a lot of trouble with their gut. They get, um, they get constipation and um, diarrhea mm-hmm. back and forth, constipation and diarrhea. They have a lot of problems, you know, and um, that I think is connected to glyphosate in an interesting way because there's a, um, a protein called myosin that is a contractile protein. It's essential for, to push the materials through the gut. And myosin has something like 11 highly conserved glycine residues that are very important to it. And there was a lovely paper on just one of those glycines. And it showed that if you change that glycine into alanine, the protein can only contract at 2% capacity. Wow. So you basically disable it from, to, from its ability to contract. Mm-hmm. And then if, you, if, the, if all those myosin molecules in your gut are being disabled in this way, your gut ends up not being able to push things through. That's how you get the constipation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very interesting because I think the same thing is happening uh, with the um, gallbladder. Mm-hmm. The gallbladder has to squeeze out the, uh, the, gall, the, the uh, bile acids. The bile acids are all messed up by glyphosate. Not just because of that. I mean, the gallbladder can't squeeze you. People have a lot of issues with their gallbladder and they get their gallbladder removed, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and so it can't, it can't, it gets uh, poisoned by the glyphosate and it can't contract. And so then you get gallstones, everything gets blocked there. You end up having, um, having to remove your gallbladder, but that means you can't release the bile acids and the bile acids are super important for lots of things. Of course, it's digesting fats. So now you can't digest fats. I think the kids get in trouble with digesting proteins, digesting fat. So they end up just eating a lot of carbs because it's kind of the only thing they can digest. And then they get an overgrowth of yeast, you know, can eat a lot of sugar. Yeah. So now they've got a yeast infection problem. I mean, it just is a cascade downward. And of course, by eating only carbs, you're not getting adequate nutrition. And by eating only processed foods, you're missing out on so many important 
um, complex molecules that are found in plants, I think it's really important to get the green, you know, fresh green vegetables and the fruits. They have all these um, polyphenols and flavonoids and terpenoids, all these wonderful molecules. Those all come out of that shikimate pathway. Mm -hmm. So they get deficient in the plant as well. Mm -hmm. But then they're not even eating the plant. They're eating the soy protein bar. You know, <laughs> So there's a tremendous nutritional deficiency going on there with the lack of the minerals and the, the lack of these complex you know, molecules from the plants and, mm -hmm. and um, inability to digest, to digest fats and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and poor mobility so that they can't, mm -hmm. and they get back up and then they get SIBO, uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you know, because of the lack of the flow. Right. So it's just a big mess. Wow. Yeah. It's so interesting. I feel like so many scientists are saying that it all starts in the gut. You know, we're hearing that about Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, we're hearing this about autism right. and yeah, one thing, it just has such a cascade effect. And, uh, you, you have a chapter where you talk about babies and how, and you had mentioned it early, you know, the beneficial bacteria, the bifidobacteria found in babies' guts, very sensitive to glyphosate. Um, and that, uh, glyphosate exposure for the mother will reduce that, you know, really beneficial bifidobacteria in the baby's gut. We're seeing a link with premature births and glyphosate in the mother's system. Loss of this really healthy bifidobacteria will lead to chronic gut inflammation during a really crucial time when the immune system is developing. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing a loss of this, you know, with C-sections, antibiotic use, formula feeding, which you say there's so much glyphosate in these formula fed um, babies. And then you have this really interesting um, story about the Finnish and Russian children mm -hmm. in Karelia. Can you briefly tell us a little bit about that? I found it so interesting. Right. That was just so amazing. Yeah. That the, um, the difference in the gut microbiome yeah. between yeah, the yeah, two. Yeah. And then also that corresponded to a difference in, in the incidence of celiac disease yeah. and other kinds of issues. Yeah. And, and the two countries are, you know, almost side by side, they have pretty much similar diet or similar, um, you know, environment, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, um, the diet's probably different because I think the difference is that there, the, there was a Western influence and the, more, and the greater use of glyphosate on the Finland side. Mm -hmm. They were using glyphosate on, on wheat that they were growing. And, and, um, and I think that the, the other side, they had very low glyphosate exposure. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then all those differences made sense in the context of that glyphosate poisoning to me, you know, that yeah, you could explain it that way. Yeah, the Finnish disease had yeah so much allergies. Type one diabetes was two to six fold more. Right, right. They had an overgrowth of you know harmful bacteria. Ten percent of the Finnish children had the you know the beneficial bifidobacteria, but the Russian children did not show that. They showed such healthy guts, and I didn't realize that it was you know it was illegal to use GMOs in Russia. I had no idea. Yes, yeah, so Russia's actually <laughs> been really interesting because he's and he's you know. <laughs> Putin has been saying we're going to be the organic capital of the yeah. world. I mean, it's quite interesting to see him uh, coming out and saying, you know, and he's he's right that Russia is yeah. much better positioned to go back to the yeah. old style small family farm. They already mm. have it, really. Whereas right. we've taken over with all these mega farms based on chemicals, all based on chemicals. It's just a. Uh, it's a disaster, I think, yeah. the way we grow food, and we need to really uh, revolutionize it. We yeah, need to, no, to follow right. Russia's example, which yeah. we don't like to admit. It. <laughs> I know. We're supposed to be so much the best in the world, and it's just not true. Yeah, it's interesting because you mentioned, you know, there was a couple of uh, studies that said even the people that eat, you know, the most organic, clean diets. There was this doctor that tested his urine and the urine of all these organic eaters. They had tested pregnant women's urine, hundred percent of those people, you know, that Oregon doctor, everyone had tested positive for glyphosate in their urine. Pregnant women were tested 93% were positive, you know, in their urine. And you also talk about uh, the generational effects of glyphosate, which I thought was fascinating right. where they, you know, there's a study looking at pregnant rats that got low dose, you know, quote, you know, the amount that's the FDA saying healthy for humans, they gave the rat version to them. And they didn't notice any observable harm to the, you know, initial rat pups and then their offspring, but the second generation and third generation had the most damage to the ovaries, the mammaries, the testicles. 
what is that telling you? <laughs> it's really interesting, isn't it? I was so fascinated by that. And it's something uh-huh. they had discovered with other chemicals. It was something uh-huh. they were discovering. And this whole concept of an endocrine disruptor, which is right. so fascinating. And then the epigenetic effects, which mm-hmm. is also just really amazing. Biology uh-huh. is just incredible. You know, you learn about, I just can't get enough of it as yeah. far as I want to know more all the time. I want to know more. <laughs> and this was just so incredible because it's really the, and the, the female um, fetus, builds her next generation before she builds her brain. I mean, it's quite interesting. It happens very early in pregnancy that the fetus takes care of the stem cells and gets them ready. And that's when they're very, very sensitive to any kind of toxic exposures. You have to be extremely healthy during those first three months of pregnancy. Don't eat, you know, eat totally certified organic. If you're going to do it anytime in your life, you do it then. <laughs> Stay away from anything, any kind of toxic yeah. chemicals. Yeah. Live an extremely clean lifestyle in those first three months of pregnancy because that's when those toxins go straight into those stem cells and then they, they react to it through this epigenetic process that ends up changing the methylation patterns and remembering they're like making note of this. Mm. And I think they're kind of getting ready for a toxic world. They're seeing, Oh gosh, we've got these toxins. We need to do something. And they change lots of things about how they, how they're going to translate into action much later in life. It's so amazing. They figured out, you know, from New York, from the uh, World War II, when there were people who were starving in Europe in World War II during pregnancy, and then their offspring became diabetic. Mm. It was like the, um, the, uh, the fetus was aware of this at the, you know, not conscious of it, but aware of this talk of this starvation environment. And it was preparing for, um, for the future in a way that ended up producing diabetes. So it's so, so fascinating that these things, and they got worse and worse with each generation, you know, even the fourth generation was worse than the third generation. You know, we're in a situation where we're really only the first generation, Mm -hmm. maybe the second, but just starting in, you know, so we're going to have, we're going to be seeing these things long into the future. Even if we were to get rid of glyphosate completely right now, Mm -hmm. it won't really disappear from our lives as far as the effect that it has on our health. Exactly. And you also talk about, you know, not only does it affect us as humans, but you talk extensively about all the animals that are affected, the monarch butterfly and honeybees. And you talk about the studies about how glyphosate will affect bees navigational ability, their ability to find food and also affects the bees personal microbiome. Yes. Why do you think this is a so important because, you know, bees are crucial for health? Why do you feel like this can be so detrimental to us? Well, of course, we depend on the bees for, for um, you know, the pollination of our crops. Uh, almonds are going to disappear if we can't figure out another way to take care of them without the bees. So we have certain crops that critically depend on bees. Mm-hmm. And um, when we lose the bees, we're going to be in trouble. We just won't even be able to produce those crops. And they're talking about trying to make little robotic bees, you know, using robotics. And maybe we'll come up with something. But that seems like such an awful solution. I know. You know? What are we and, and it really frustrated me because I was seeing all this about the bee colony collapse syndrome. And of course, they were talking about the insecticides, which makes sense because they are they should be susceptible to insecticides. And they are. And I think chlorpyrifos is a major player. But nobody was saying anything about the glyphosate. And I could see that glyphosate had to be a major factor in the bee colony collapse syndrome. Mm-hmm. And yet all these people who are worried about trying to ban chlorpyrifos, you know, there's not, not very, very little has been said about glyphosate. Don Huber has come out publicly and said glyphosate. And then there are these studies that are showing up recently that are really nailing it with the showing the gut microbiome getting disrupted, showing them getting this confused state and unable to figure out how to get back after they've done their job of um, pollinating the plants. It's really sad to see. And the monarch butterfly is also another one that is so clearly glyphosate, mm-hmm. yet people don't say that. And mm-hmm. I, there was actually an article that said, you know, because milkweed is their, um, is one of their core foods and milkweed is a weed that grows in the corn plants. And so across the Midwest, they're spraying the corn with glyphosate to kill the milkweed and the bees are eating the milkweed. So of course they're getting glyphosate poisoning from the milkweed. And the article simply said that the, that the glyphosate was destroying their source of food and they were starving to death mm-hmm. without thinking maybe it, the glyphosate's actually hurting them too, you know? They just assume the glyphosate's so safe it wouldn't harm them. That's the problem is people yeah. think it's so safe. It can't be doing that. But the, the, the uh, butterflies, they have a metabolic disorder as they're trying to make their way down to Mexico. They get totally sick and they just can't even process food anymore and they die on the way down. It's very sad. It's very tragic. 
You know, you also mentioned, you know, dementia's rise doubled since the 2000s. Again, doesn't account for us just being better at detection or living longer. We were mentioning earlier that, you know, the research is suggesting Alzheimer's, depression, autism, Parkinson's, many autoimmune disorders, some mental health disorders start in the gut. And you also have this incredible chapter at the end on immunity. And I love the quote that you start the chapter with saying that modern medicine uh, asks what and how, but not why. Mm what do you have and how do we treat it? Not why, you know, why is it there? Why is this happening? Because we can't stop it if we don't know where it's coming from. And then you talk about some very interesting facts about how the U S spent $4 trillion on healthcare, uh, counting for about 20% of our GDP, 90% of that going to treating chronic diseases. We spend more per capita than any other country in the world. Health outcomes are worse though than any industrialized country. Autoimmune diseases are on the rise. I didn't realize it was 41 million Americans suffering right now. And um, an autoimmune disease basically is when the body's immune system sees its own body as an invader and attacks it. And you kind of touched before about glyphosate's role. Is there anything else that you would add about you know, glyphosate's implication in autoimmune diseases? I think it's central. I think it's a very central player. And, I, and it really has to do with the simple fact that it... Um, well, it disrupts the ability to metabolize the proteins that you're eating. So those proteins don't, don't disappear. They stick around as sequences of amino acids that cause that then the immune cells recognize it as a foreign protein. Foreign proteins are not supposed to be intact and get into your circulation. And that's what's happening. They're getting into the lymph system and then the immune cells are, are responding to them with antibodies that mm. will to, to be able to clear them, you know, because you have to sort of attach them with antibodies so that the immune cells can see them and clear them. Mm -hmm. And there's always a danger of autoimmune disease whenever you develop antibodies. The foods that you're eating, like the gluten, the gluten doesn't get digested. The antibodies to the gluten become uh, attack your own proteins because there's a sequence of amino acids, a pattern of amino acids in the protein that's similar to what shows up in the gluten peptide. That's a classic case of of um, what's causing autoimmune diseases because the antibodies to undigested proteins are now attacking your tissues. So you get multiple sclerosis because it's attacking myelin and the myelin sheath. Uh, myelin basic protein is one, for example, thyroid, you get Hashimoto's thyroiditis from uh, attacking the thyroid proteins in the thyroid, you know, and then of course you have celiac disease with the gluten and, um, so that it just goes, the list goes on and on. Lupus is another one, right? Yeah, right. And rheumatoid arthritis. These are all chronic, uh, you know, debilitating yeah. uh, right. autoimmune diseases that are just up and up and up. And, and our kids are getting more and more. I mean, they have shocking numbers of autoimmune diseases like compared I'm to it so much more, you know, just even type one diabetes, which you mentioned earlier is going up, you know, despite the fact that it's supposed to be a genetic disease. So right. that's pretty weird. Yeah. Yeah, you have this part in, in the end where you talk about the pharmaceutical industry and how, you know, the research, production, distribution of medication generates $1.25 trillion in revenue with autoimmunity alone, $109 billion. And you ask a very important question, especially when, you know, it's, it's a fact, these pharmaceutical companies are for profit. What's the incentive to treat the underlying root cause? I know it, it's, uh, it, it, it really frustrates me because oh. I just can't stand the fact that when they see the dollars they can make, as long as you stay sick, they're not eager to try to fix the problem, the root cause. They're not eager to fix that because they're happy to take that money that you depend upon. You have to spend that money to keep yeah. yourself from being in pain all the time. It's just really, really sad. Yeah. It's a sad comment on our system that we don't mm -hmm. have better ethics than that. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, my favorite chapter was the end where you talked about all these incredible things that we can do to move away from this toxic legacy. And the first thing that you talk about is regenerative agriculture. What is it? And why do you think it's so important for us to move to this type of farming? Yeah, it's really, I think it's crucial to pay attention to the soil and make sure that the soil is healthy. And it's a bit like the gut. It's got the microbiome, the soil microbiome, the nutrients in the soil, the minerals, all of those things need to be very, very top, top shape, you know, in top shape for the to, in order not only to produce a higher yield in the crop, but also to produce, produce a healthier plant that has more nutrients in it. Mm -hmm. So, so getting rid of all the chemicals, using everything natural, uh, mm -hmm. doing compost, you know, uh, organic composting to, to just make 
keep on making a, a critical part of your agriculture be improving the soil so that every year mm -hmm. the soil is better than it was the year before. And mm -hmm. that's going to and that's not only going to increase the yield, but also increase the robustness against these other diseases, because we get the crops are really sensitive to fungus infection. Mm -hmm. Now we're getting a lot of problems with fungus infection. Then they just throw fungicides onto the mix. So you've got the insecticides, the herbicides, the fungicides, mm -hmm. you know, and the synthetic fertilizers, the synthetic mm -hmm. phosphate fertilizers, the synthetic nitrate fertilizers. This is such a, it's so far away. This is the yeah. chemical-based agriculture yeah. that's so far away from where you need to do to be to go back to this whole natural method, but also to focus on keeping the crop, uh, keeping the soil healthy. And this whole thing of a ground cover, I think, is really interesting to grow a crop. Uh, in the in the off season, like in the winter, to, to plant something, actually plant uh, a complex crop with lots of different uh, species of seeds mm -hmm. uh, to grow over the winter and, and then to sow it away. You're not har harvesting anything from it, but it has done a really useful thing because in the process, first of all, it's grabbing carbon out of the air. Mm -hmm. So it's helping the carbon dioxide problem mm -hmm. and it's pulling it into the soil and it's giving nutrition to the soil. Wow. So it's producing a much healthier base mm -hmm. for the crop Mm -hmm. And it's also able to keep the weeds out because this, this whole technique of which I, I heard about um, Don Eddington, I think it was his name, a fascinating mm -hmm. guy who does this kind of regenerative agriculture. And he grows corn and um, corn and soy. So those are sort of typical GMO crops mm -hmm. completely organically. Mm -hmm. And he would just grow this cover crop in the winter. And then he has this machine that mashes it down. It's quite cool. So you just mash it to a big mesh and you're, you're killing it that way. You're sort of really messing it up, you know, mashing it down. And then you sort of puncture a hole to put the seeds in for your crop and your crop grows through that mesh. And there's this mesh all over the field that keeps the weeds from growing. So it's yeah. really quite neat wow. to do. I think that whole technique, we need to perfect these various techniques that and make us can allow us to grow food that's much more nutritious mm -hmm. doesn't have a toxic chemicals and then the soil is also the soil by virtue of being so healthy it doesn't run off as easily it holds water so droughts won't be as much of a problem all these things that we're seeing with these chemical-based agriculture every year the soil gets worse mm -hmm. and you're losing the organic topsoil which is so important for so many things with respect to soil health mm -hmm. and um and the soil is eroding away because it, it gets washed out by the rain because there's nothing to hold it in place. It isn't enough of this organic mesh it would hold it in place. And mm -hmm. so um, it's really a, a disaster in the making. It sounds like an art to grow this way. And, it, and yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's, it's fun that way. I really yeah. think of it as being a very exciting career path to, yeah. to take on the task of, yeah. of figuring out how to grow food um, organically and, in, and economically and with a renewal of the yeah. improvement of the soil every year. That is just such a wonderful thing. And there are people who are really getting into measuring, you know, so they can document because yeah. we need some we need some science to, right. to see right. what works, what doesn't work. Yeah, because I think there's a misconception where people say, you know, oh, if we don't spray pesticides, you know, all these bugs or things are going to be attacking the plants. But I think if you strengthen the plant enough with right. natural phytonutrients and maybe it's like a strategy where you might grow a crop on the outside that attracts, mm -hmm. you know, the right. It's such an art that we don't fully understand, but this will prevent this plant from becoming diseased and vulnerable. If Actually, it's really interesting that the, the, the fungus, you know, that grows, uh, the mycorrhizae, I think it's called, mm -hmm. this is rhizome. Uh, <laughs> this mesh of fungus that is actually a communication channel for the plants. It's so fascinating. I remember reading about one plant would get bitten by a bug yeah. and it would send a signal to the rest of them. Hey guys, you know, there's a bug. And then they would all start releasing a chemical that would make that make the, them taste bad to the bug. So they, um, there's a, a, the signaling mechanism allows them to communicate to their neighbors to be prepared for this invasion and such that you don't need to use insecticides, you know? Yeah. So I think the whole opposite happens when they can't communicate because those mycorrhizae are being destroyed by chemicals, you right. know, they no longer right. can let each other know what's happening. So I think that's also very interesting. Yeah. And you talk about the importance, as we were saying, of polyphenols, flavonoids, this is what prevents disease. And you say that people that appear to have the healthiest guts, I believe they eat 30 different types of like plants and herbs per week. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about polyphenols, flavonoids, prebiotics, and how you feel like this prevents disease in the first place? This is what we should be spending our time doing instead of, you know, once there's a disease, what can we give you? It's, it's kind of all about that prevention. Can you talk right. about 
Yes. And I think that's just so simple. It's just eat real food. You know, it's a simple message. Yes. And, um, and as I said, the plants have so many interesting molecules in them that we don't, you know, we think of foods as carbohydrates and fats and proteins. And that is just such a small part of yeah. what nature is about. And all of those really complex, interesting molecules, even chlorophyll, for example, mm -hmm. I read a paper was really fascinating that said that our cells can use chlorophyll if we mm -hmm. eat it. They can use it to help the mitochondria. So that's wow. just so fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and we just don't realize how important it is to have all those nutrients that are taken out when the whole processing that turns these foods into pseudofoods, mm -hmm. you know, with just the soy, like a soy protein bar is a very mm -hmm. good example of what I call a pseudofood. If you look at the list of ingredients, there's all these chemicals in there, you know? Yeah. And it's no longer really food and, uh, and so missing in the critical nutrients that. We hadn't appreciated how important they were to our health until we kind of stopped eating them. And so I think herbs and spices, you know, myself, we just put lots of, we use tons of garlic mm -hmm. and onions and um, coriander and, um, you know, just various spices that we put on our food and even peppers, you know, things, spices that are like uh, Chinese peppercorn is one yeah. that I really love. Yeah. <laughs> and sulfur, of course, is, is a, we didn't mention sulfur, but I am, it's a big deal to me, sulfur deficiency and impaired sulfur metabolism that's happening with glyphosate. So that's where garlic comes in really important for the sulfur and, and also eating seafood and, and organic eggs is a really, really healthy food because mm -hmm. it's a nutrient dense food. It has so many different uh, vitamins and minerals and and mm -hmm. cholesterol, which is also a very important nutrient, despite what people say about heart disease. No, you're right. The, the sulfur, you were saying eggs, onions, leeks, garlics, Brussels sprouts, broccoli. And even if you soak, I didn't know this, Epsom salt bath that has magnesium sulfate, you absorb directly that sulfate. Yes. So better than you were saying, even if you ingest it, I had no idea. Especially because if you have a sensitivity, because a lot of people have a sulfur sensitivity, so they're yeah. avoiding sulfur containing foods, which is yeah. going to really catch up with them in time because they're going to become systemically sulfur deficient. Yeah. And that, that sensitivity is probably caused in many cases by glyphosate. And I wrote about that in the book, how it would cause mm -hmm. sulfur sensitivity. So you say, you know, if you are eating meat, you talk about how a lot of farms, you know, they give their cows so much Roundup Ready feed, as well as this really dangerous agent called rectopamine. So right. banned by like 160 nations and also just the incredibly inhumane ways a lot of these traditional ways of growing, you know, in these like tiny cages, they can barely move. They get all these infections, abscesses, they're being packed with antibiotics, but you know, pasture raised animals are different. Yes. And can you talk a little bit about why you recommend, you know, that the eating a pasture raised animal, if you are going to be eating meat? <laughs> it's just, there's really no comparison, I yeah. think between the two. And it's really so worth the extra money to buy the grass-fed beef, pasture-raised animals, and, and their chickens too, of course. Um, it's just uh, it's just a completely different diet and uh, has a completely different metabolic uh, equation. I mean, they just, the whole way that their metabolism works is very, very different when they're eating grass versus when they're eating the grains, you know, contaminated with glyphosate. Um, the, the biochemistry is complicated to explain, but it really uh, amounts to them producing nutrients that are much, much healthier for you than the ones that are produced in the meats that you would eat that are from the, the mm. poisoned cows. And you also talk about broccoli. There's a component in it called sulforaphane, mm -hmm. uh, increase the antioxidant glutathione and neurons, incredible anti-inflammatory. And then you say that a broccoli sprout has the same amount of the sulforaphane than in an entire broccoli. Right. That's the sprouts right. are really, really healthy yeah. Yeah. in general sprouts and especially broccoli sprouts, very, very healthy foods. Yeah. I would encourage people to eat those. Okay. And the last thing, which I didn't know was vitamin D supplementation. Cause a lot mm -hmm. of people, including myself, I just sometimes supplement with vitamin D thinking this is equal, you know, if not better, but you say how it's so much better to get it from the sun. Yeah, it's quite interesting because vitamin D, you know, um, facilitates calcium uptake and uh, through the gut and it facilitates calcium uptake, for example, for the bones. So you think in terms of getting uh, strong bones by having lots of calcium and uh, vitamin D is going to help that. But the problem is that there's another layer going on with um, other problems in your body that are going to cause calcium to go certain places. So for example, if you are sick because of chronic poisoning from things like glyphosate, your body is actually pulling calcium out of the bones and putting it into the arteries mm -hmm. and you're getting calcified plaque, you know, and that's how you can get, that's a very bad risk factor for heart disease to have these calcified arteries. 
that's happening because of a complex set of problems having to do with various enzymes getting disrupted by poisons like glyphosate that causes your body to have a different policy at the highest level to pull mm -hmm. calcium out of the bones. So when you get take vitamin D on top of that, vitamin D will facilitate that putting of calcium into the arteries and taking it from the bones. It'll actually make it worse, you know, for mm -hmm. someone who already has this predisposition to do that. It's been shown that get vitamin D can end up um, encouraging uh, the growth of cal calcification of the plaque. Um, and also vitamin D, when you take it, it's going to be, if you don't have enough sulfate, the vitamin D gets packaged up inside these LDL particles. It can actually increase your LDL. You know, LDL is the bad, so-called bad cholesterol. Yeah. Um, has to be carried inside those particles if it doesn't, if it isn't sulfated. Whereas when you get exposure from the skin, the vitamin D is sulfated and it can be shipped out into the blood without being packaged up inside LDL particles. Wow. It's so interesting that speaking with you and other top scientists, like on the show before, it was Dr. Emerin Mayer who wrote about the mind-gut connection, Harvard professor, Dr. Fasano, he had written about gut feelings. All of you are saying the same thing. We are interconnected. We cannot be healthy if our environment and our food is not healthy. It's so simple and we somehow made it so complicated. Yes. <laughs> it was, it's, it's, yeah, go ahead. It's wonderful that the it's way fun. to be healthy is just yeah. to, you know, eat whole foods, eat organic foods, get out in the sunlight, you know, take a walk on the beach. I mean, it's just really healthy living. Exactly. It feels very simple to me and people yeah. should just really pay attention to it and they should make right. a conscious effort to do for joining me on this episode of The Hidden Body. If you are enjoying this podcast, please leave me a five-star review so that other people who are looking for similar information can find this show. This is a space for educational discussion and should not be taken as medical advice. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. Please consult with the appropriate medical professional for any medical questions regarding your health.